More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, hour number two, Monday edition of the program. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we roll through the program. Buck, I just tweeted this out. Front page, Monday edition, New York Times. Absolutely savages Kamala Harris. And we had a story from the Washington Post, I believe it was last week, that did the same and what i will just posit for everyone out there is when your propaganda outlets the new york times and the washington post which are effectively mouthpieces for the democrat party when they are coming out and completely and totally destroying the vice president of the united states in a front page article in each newspaper it is pretty debilitating for Kamala Harris. Now I wanted to read for you Buck a couple of the uh a couple of the quotes that were out there in this piece on Kamala Harris and let you kind of think about this. This is in the New York Times front page article on Kamala Harris today. The painful reality for Miss Harris is that in private conversations over the last few months Dozens of Democrats in the White House, on Capitol Hill, and around the nation, including some who helped put her on the party's 2020 ticket, said she had not risen to the challenge of proving herself as a future leader of the party, much less the country. Even some Democrats whom her own advisors referred reporters to for supportive quotes confided privately they had lost hope in her Uh, through much of the fall a quiet panic set in among key democrats about what would happen if president biden opted not to run for a second term most democrats interviewed who existed who insisted on anonymity to avoid alienating the white house said flatly they did not think miss harris could win the presidency in 2024 
Some even said the party's biggest challenge would be finding a way to sideline her without inflaming key Democratic constituencies that would take offense. Buck, that is a flamethrower on Kamala Harris from the New York Times. It's the analysis that we've been giving here for a long time now, which is they got a problem in this Democrat party. It also goes to why I I have believed all along, and I know you um, now agree, and this could also shift for both of us depending on events and how it all goes, right? Remember, Trump was going to get indicted, and that was the whole plan with the documents, and then they found a bunch of classified documents at Biden. So even if it was the plan to indict Trump, events can change where everything is going, but I think it's been clear for a while that because and 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 you can see Clay in this New York Times piece, it, there's it's the the it's dripping with frustration, right? There there's this sense of oh, come on, we wanted Kamala to be a better vice president than than she's been, uh, and and they're they're airing this out. I I do wonder why, like what the New York Times always does things like this for a purpose. Maybe they're just throwing a tantrum over it, but there perhaps is a longer term political goal that you'd have to look at here. But this is why all along I've thought it has to be Biden, because when you wargame this out, you know, when you look at uh, how the different pathways this could go, Biden not running again means there's an expectation that the vice president, remember, he's a sitting president, so the, it's not like he's finished his two terms and, oh, let's have a primary and see. Um, Biden stepping down and not running and not taking advantage of the incumbency and it not being Kamala to the point being made here in the New York Times, you know, the the single most reliable Democrat constituency in the country uh, is black female voters. They're the most they are from an electoral perspective. They're the beating heart. They are they're the center of the base of the Democrat Party, black female voters. The first opportunity, real opportunity the Democrat Party has to elevate the first black female president, and they push her aside for smooth-talking slimeball Gavin Newsom? I don't think so. I, I just think that that's too rich. I don't think they could come up with the, with smooth enough propaganda to explain that internally in the Democrat Party without it without it completely blowing up in their faces. I just I don't see it. I think you're right. As bad as Joe Biden's approval ratings are, as this article states, uh, Kamala Harris's approval ratings are worse. But this sentence, I just can't get over. How out of touch even are Kamala Harris's advisors? Even some Democrats whom her own advisors referred reporters to for supportive quotes confided privately they had lost hope in her. In the New York Times. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, Breitbart uh, writing a takedown piece of Kamala Harris. This is what should be the base of Kamala Harris's support eviscerating her. Now, now I think maybe a helpful way to look at this is to understand the same way that when people, people ask me about the CIA, Clay, and I say, you've got to think of the CIA the way you'd think of like a big state school. To ask what's it like or who's there, well, are we talking about athletes or math majors? Are we talking about... It's got uh, everything. You know, it's, it's so it's, big. It's, yeah. it's so big that it's just this massive entity. And I think when you look at an administration, we often have this view of, oh, it's the administration. Now, in a policy sense, there there's some truth that obviously, and I'll talk about the apparatus, all the little bureaucracies and agencies and individuals at the top pushing forward an agenda... 
But within each administration, Republican or Democrat, there are fiefdoms. There are little little kingdoms within the kingdom. And there are people who are working in those who for that this is a professional choice they have made, meaning this their own careerism comes into play. A president, a vice president. You go to the vice president's office, you work on the vice president's staff. Why? So that generally speaking, you're going to move on and work in a future White House directly. People generally don't want to, you know, the vice president's staff is a means to an end for a lot of people professionally. You do that so that you're on the launch pad for the other, you know, the other bigger job. You know, that you can, you go from being the, the key aide to the vice president to maybe a deputy White House chief of staff or maybe, you know, something like that. And so I think that a lot of the people who were promised, oh, go work for Kamala, you know, working for Kamala is going to be amazing. And maybe, maybe she's going to be the next president are just bitter. I really think they're they're individually bitter about the professional choice that they have made because she's not going to be their ticket to the next big job. That That's a good analysis. Let me also blow your mind here. You're a history guy. I was doing research on this. In the last hundred years, how many two-term presidents have been succeeded by their vice president? Because a lot of times out there, to let me kind of set the context here again, so many people out there say, you know, the vice president's a heartbeat away. How often has it been the case in the last hundred years in America that you have a two-term serving president who is then succeeded by his vice president for his own term? Oh, man. Once? Once is the answer. Ah! Good job. Buck always delivers. George Bush Sr. followed Ronald Reagan. And, you know, you tried to have, even recently, Al Gore uh, was trying to follow Clinton, and uh, and and you certainly had, uh, you know, a situation Obama was not did not pick his vice president, and now vice president has ended up in the office. But the point is, that catbird seat for the vice president, this idea that you're going to catapult in, if there's not a death or if there is not a debilitating action that takes place to elevate you from the vice president... Um, it's pretty crazy to think about, right? Well, it's fascinating when you see what happened with, you know, the current president, Biden, was not able to leverage two terms as the vice president to being the guy for right. the Democrats. We all remember 2016. We all remember what happened. So you really have a political rule here that being vice president means you're on deck during your party's presidency. It does not mean you are on deck in any meaningful way after a after um you know a one or a two term presidency so you asked what are they getting at and i think that's such the important question here when when the new york times and the washington post post are both savaging kamala first of all i think there is now a clear unless joe biden basically has a debilitating health attack in some point it's him he's it's the him. nominee he's running. and there's yeah. not even going to be uh, a significant challenger but I think what they're already working towards is Kamala not as the face of the party, right? So if Biden wins in 24, immediately the spin becomes there's no incumbent president. What's going to happen in 28? Um, as bad as Mayor Pete has been, he hasn't gotten savage like Kamala Harris in the press. As bad as uh, Joe Biden has been, Kamala Harris actually gotten savaged, I think, worse than Joe Biden in the press. Of anybody out there, she has the lowest approval rating and the most savagery directed towards her. I think it's because she's the next man up, and they're trying to end her. 
And well, I also think that there's the same way that there's bitterness from the staffers around Kamala who went to work for her because they thought, you know, that this was the law. And maybe it still is for some of them. They'll work for a Biden, you know, term two or something. But, you know, as you know, in politics, you really attach yourself to the politician. Yeah. And and that people are picking teams when you when you pick a politician, you are picking a team. Certainly true when you're talking about a general election or a primary. But but even within an administration, you know, the people that work for Nikki Haley, for example, when she was at, you know, U.S. when she was U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under Trump. Those are the people that if when she's running, you know, to yes. try to be president for the Republican side are going to be around her. And, you know, we all understand how that works. I think that there are a lot of journalists like because Kamala was the candidate of the CNN green room and elite journos. She was the Jeff Zucker candidate. She was the if you were somebody in L.A. or New York with a lot of money and a lot of connections in media, Kamala was someone that you were really in favor. It wasn't Biden. It wasn't yeah. Biden early on. Kamala was, you know, Jeff, I think Zucker, by the way, he was the president of CNN before he completely destroyed that media entity such that it will never recover. Um, uh, he threw fundraisers for her. I mean, it was that level of that, you know, when I say I'm not just theorizing that she was his candidate, she was his candidate. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, or he had attended fundraisers for her. But anyway, um, I think that there are journos who are also who felt like they they carried her to the role of vice president and they're spewing a little vitriol because they're disappointed because they feel like their personal brands they did all this to put Kamala in this position and she hasn't delivered in a way that ref, you know reflects poorly on them at some level i'm just that's what i see here because when you have the new york times and a bunch of anonymous staffers trashing the vice president the only other on. only other thing for everybody to think about is it possible that Joe Biden could walk away from her as his vice president? Because if you're getting her trash, remember there was the talk about, hey, we're going to put her on the Supreme Court. We'll find another place to put her. Is it possible that Joe Biden, because think about this, her ineptitude is actually going to be a major story in 2024 because Biden's going to be 82. Like it's always a matter of who you fear the heartbeat away. But it's not crazy to think that Biden from 82 to 86, if he somehow got dragged across the finish line weekend at Bernie's two style, she might really matter way more than any vice president ever has before, just based on his age. Just tossing it out there. Is this giving him a little space to contemplate tossing her off the ticket? And and then I, I assume, given the Democrat Party's realities, you'd be looking at a a replacement for on the ticket who is also uh, a, have to, yes. a, a black female vice president. I, I think that would have to be. And so then we all there's a, there's a short list of people yes. that you that would come to mind. Maybe maybe this is what happens. But I, I just think they try to push. Look what they did. Clay, my, my, I always return to this. What they did in 2020 was reckless and crazy. And somehow the guy became president. And I mean, that Joe Biden was the nominee and they pushed this doddering old fool forward that everybody knows is not very smart, is not very ethical, is not very accomplished in any meaningful way. He's just been around forever. So he's a name people know. That's it. They just, they just, they pushed it, they pushed it forward and we all know what ended up happening. So I just feel like they're ready for round two, but you know, it's a crazy world we live in, folks. I could be wrong. 
The Mantis X, you've heard me talking about it because it is a must-have for every gun owner. This is a newer device out there, and it's a solution for gun owners looking to keep their skills sharp when they can't get to the gun range or when they don't want to spend a lot of money every time they want to work on their skills because ammo is really expensive. The Mantis X is an all-electronic, no-ammo way to train with your firearms. It attaches to your weapon like a light would. That device connects to your phone via Bluetooth, and on your phone is the Mantis X app you've downloaded. The app provides you with real-time data as you train, giving you a sense of your accuracy. You get different sets of drills and feedback on your technique, all meant to improve your aim and focus. Here's how good the Mantis X is. 94% of users improve their shot within the first 20 minutes. I mean, that's impressive, right? This product is now being used by the U.S. military and special forces. For you, you're getting military-grade technology at an affordable price. Start improving your shooting accuracy today. Get yours at MantisX.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X.com. MantisX.com. No promo code needed. Get yourself set up this month with MantisX. It is well worth the money. Sanity in an insane world. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. Mark Simone. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We've been talking about this uh, supply balloon, and we're actually scheduled to be joined by Chris Miller, who served as Acting Secretary of Defense under President Trump. Uh, we'll see whether or not we track him down or not. Uh, but, Buck, here's what I wonder now. What would happen if China sent another spy balloon? Right? Like, what if they just basically say, we have no respect at all for you guys, you just shot down the one off the coast of South Carolina. Is the new precedent in the Biden administration, given what just happened, that the moment and we've got him now, I'm, I'll ask him this question. Uh, and we appreciate uh, being joined right now by Chris Miller, served as acting secretary of defense under Trump, uh, former special forces commander, Green Beret, first of his generation to serve as a cabinet official responsible for America uh, and the security there, and he was also director of the National Counterterrorism Center. Uh, so when you see this story about the balloon that so captivated everybody on Friday, uh, and you are told, oh, this also happened under the Trump administration, what's your reaction? Hi, hey, thanks for having me on, you guys. I'm really honored. Unsinkable aircraft carrier free speech. At least it's not a Chinese spy balloon. Thank goodness. There we go. Amen. No kidding. You guys, you guys got this right. Oh man. Yeah. I'm hearing all this back and forth. I'm getting my, my phone's blowing up like, Hey, did you know about these doggone spy balloons? I can tell you definitively, uh, when I was acting secretary of defense, I spent three or four, three years, uh, in the White House in various capacities or the Pentagon. Never heard hide or hair of it. Pretty sure I would have known if that happened and the president wasn't informed, uh, that's really, really bad. So I, I, I'm trying to get the story straight. I can't get the story straight. Somebody needs to do it. That's what you That's what you guys are going to do, right? We're trying. But as part of this, though, I'm, I'm wondering if you could help, uh, to the degree you're, you're allowed, illuminate uh, this audience all across the country with what the possible motivations, as you see them, from the Chinese side would be of flying this kind of a balloon. I mean, we hear surveillance. Okay. Well, what kind of surveillance and why Why would the Chinese risk this kind of diplomatic rift unless there was something substantial in it for them? These are the questions that we're getting asked ever since the story broke. Yeah, well, I mean, there you go. You guys kind of hit it up earlier. Is this uh, have we shown weakness Have we showed our belly to the Chinese because the Chinese Communist Party and military flies, you know, fleets of aircraft toward Taiwan every couple of days and we don't do anything. And then, you know, with the debacle in Afghanistan or the Chinese are questioning our motivations. But you're, the, here's what I what I wanted to say, uh, based on your question, you got me frequency hopping there because there's so much going on in my brain about this right now. But, you know, when you talk about why would they do this? Probably my bet, if they ever recover this, it was probably for uh, electronic. Uh, they were trying to collect information on our radar systems and all our electronic warfare stuff and um, probably some sort of sensors like that. So then they, they, then they know what frequencies we're on and all that sort of stuff. And then that can help them plan if they plan uh, if they ever want to attack. All right. So. Again, you say you never heard anything about these Chinese spy balloons being in the you know American airspace before. It doesn't seem like there was a precedent established. But my first thought, and when Buck and I were talking about it on Friday, is when I hear Chinese spycraft entering into American airspace, my first thought is we should immediately shoot it down. Um, you know, yeah. potentially in Alaska, 
where by and large there are lots of areas that have no population to speak uh, speak of. What do you think would happen now if they tried to enter United States airspace again? What should happen? And do we think that NORAD would know almost immediately if this occurred again? How would you assess that? You guys, what great questions. Yeah, I'm doing the same thing you did. I'm like, I can sort of read a map still. It's been a few years since I actually was in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, having to carry one. But you're like, oh, it flies over the Aleutians. There's a lot of space in there to do something where they could have brought it down. I'll give you, if, if I could frequency hop on you, here's my issue. You know, we spent $850 billion on this most exquisite military in the history of the world, and we don't have the capability to bring down, you know, safe, like under our control, this doggone spy balloon that's just kind of drifting along. I think that's a bigger issue right there. But uh, gosh darn, I think uh, I think our, our air defense radars have to be pretty fine-tuned now looking for something to come in. Gosh darn, we can't we can't let this one happen again. I mean, we just look. I mean, it's good content for Saturday Night Live. You guys know that the memes are great, but it's kind of an embarrassment <laughs> as an American, yeah. isn't it? We're speaking to Chris Miller, who was a former Special Forces commander and served as Acting Secretary of Defense under President Donald Trump. And uh, Chris, uh, on the just just for clarity's sake here, so when the when those news reports came out that said there were three balloon incursions under the Trump presidency was I mean, you said you didn't know about them. Do you think that was just a lie? Are they just lying to try to cover for Biden's behind here? What's going on? I can't keep up. It seems like the story changes about every five minutes. Well, actually, we didn't know until after the fact it's this this crazy Kafka-esque sort of description that I, I can't figure out. It looks like now the the Biden administration has recognized that well, there could have been some spy balloons come over, but we didn't know. We, the Trump administration, didn't know till after the fact. I didn't have any of that information, and I got to tell you, I'm pretty confident that the, if President Trump uh, was faced with that, he would have uh, taken direct action right away. We're talking to Chris Miller, acting uh, Secretary of Defense under President Trump. So going forward, you say maybe they're trying to gain some information on existing American uh, American assets. That was the reason that they would send this this balloon across. Also seems likely they would have known that it was going to be discovered, given the fact the amount of time that they spent in America, uh, the fact that it was actually just visible to the naked eye from the ground uh, in many different uh, states. Did you have any fear yourself that this might be booby-trapped, equipped with some sort of uh, dangerous device inside? Could it have been a test to allow that to happen in the future? How would you assess, in other words, that the idea that this is not just spycraft, but it could be, in years ahead, something that is used to actually deliver dangerous consequences of a militaristic past and possibility going forward? Hey, you guys remember uh, right after the start of World War II, those fire balloons the Japanese imperialists dropped on uh, the forests. Of we the talked American about that. Buck, Buck looked it up. Yep. Yeah, you guys. I knew you had. I knew you had. You guys. You're all over this. I think that's really in warfare. You're always probing the defenses of your adversaries, either current or potential adversaries, to find out uh, what they can get away with. Uh, I think your speculation has to be taken seriously and is, has to be considered uh, strongly on that. 
And I also think that let's never, you wonder if my buddies were all texting me like, Hey man, this is a deception or this is like a, a shiny object. Like look over here while we're doing this when we're really doing something somewhere else. I think we have to think about that one too. I don't have any uh, proof or no one's called me on that, but we got to think about that too. Uh, there was obviously a lot of attention. One of the generals said that he expected China to invade Taiwan. I think 2025 was his prediction. Do you think China yeah. will invade Taiwan? And if China did invade Taiwan, how do you think the U.S. military would respond? Well, I know the U United States military can absolutely rip into them and tear their you-know-what holes out. Uh, without too much effort, uh, the question is whether we have the political will and our, uh, you know, I talk because I can't tell what our policy is against Taiwan right now. I told you earlier, they send all these planes and drones and everything at Taiwan and we don't do anything. So I think, uh, if, if you're sitting in, in Chairman Xi's position, you're like, man, I, I wonder if I can, I, I wonder if I can get this done before the United States, you know, masses their forces. So it's, I, I don't know if it's 2025, but I know they're, they must be thinking really strongly and, in Beijing about what to do next. Chris Miller, former acting Secretary of Defense. Appreciate you being with us, sir. Thanks for calling in. Thanks, unsinkable aircraft carrier free speech. You guys, thanks for what you're doing. Yes, Appreciate sir. Appreciate that, sir. Going to keep that hey, carrier moving. That's how we do it. As you know, guys, I'm really dedicated to this cause, the preborn pregnancy clinics, because they're saving lives. It's absolutely essential. Preborn pregnancy clinics welcome pregnant moms making the most important decision of their lives as it relates to the child they're carrying. Preborn introduces those mothers to their unborn child through the gift of an ultrasound treatment. Once a mother sees that precious life and hears that heartbeat on ultrasound, she's twice as likely to choose life. That happens because of your donations. $28 is the cost of that ultrasound. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day their clinics save 150 babies. Consider making a gift today of $28 or more if you can. Use your cell phone and dial pound 250, say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby, or go to preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K, sponsored by Preborn. Subscribe to CNB 24-7 and never miss a minute of Clay and Buck while getting behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. So we just talked to a former Secretary of Defense under Trump about the uh, balloon situation, and certainly the Biden administration did not handle that one very well at all. Um, the Biden State of the Union address, I think, which will be tomorrow, is going to handle a whole range of things. And look, I'm going to watch it. Clay's going to watch it. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun watching. But we're going to do it because we're going to see the way they try to spin all this stuff. Here's uh, Senator Tim Scott, for example, when he was talking about Biden's State of the Union. He says that Biden should apologize for a whole range of things. Play 10. I think you'll hear a lot of glossing over of the real issues that the American people are suffering through. If, if we were going to hear something authentic from President Biden, it would be American people. I'm sorry. I apologize for record-breaking crime, record-breaking inflation, and record-breaking border crossings. What I anticipate, however, is he will talk about nothing for as long as humanly possible and stop talking. So, Clay, I agree with what Senator Scott is saying. Of course, Biden's going to do none of that. But the one place where I think, I think it really is... Um, he, he went below my very low expectations is with the promise to to unify 
the country and to be a return to normalcy and all that. I didn't think he was going to do it, but he's really gone with the winter of death about the vaccines and, and the, you know, the ultra MAGA Republicans. He just gave a speech to Democrats in Philadelphia, and this is how he talks about extreme MAGA Republicans. Play 12. They introduced a bill. Mr. Gunnar, you think I'm crazy? When I said this stuff in the off here, people looked at me like I was nuts. They're nuts. I'm not the one. <laughs> they introduced a bill that will eliminate the IRS and replace it with a 30% national sales tax. <laughs> oh, no. You heard me. 30% national sales tax. Think about that. It means 30% on groceries, gasoline, clothing, school supplies, medicine, big ticket items, rent and cars. Shifting the entire burden to the working class and middle class in America. It's not going to happen. I'm going to veto the sucker if it ever got to me. I know the Republicans ran an inflation last election. I didn't know they were trying to make it worse. I trying actually, to make it inflate. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the idea that our tax code is so fundamentally broken that anytime someone offers an alternative it is immediately shouted down i mean you heard the booing like who likes taxes <laughs> i i mean in, in all honesty and so it's not going to pass everybody knows it's not going to pass but the idea that we can't have a conversation about how broken our tax policy is buck you've told the story for a while was it uh, for who was the former secretary of uh, defense that would say, I have no idea if this is accurate, like Donald Rumsfeld. He would Donald send a Rumsfeld. letter into the IRS saying, look, I got great accountants and I'm being honest yeah. with you, but you're asking me to sign something saying it's all true. And nobody knows if this is That's all right. accurate. And, and what I have come to find out as I have had my own business and everything else, if you gave your taxes to 10 different accountants, 10 different accountants would tell you that you owed a different amount. That seems to me to be a flaw of the overall system. And the fact that you and me and many of the people out there listening to us are reasonably intelligent adults, and we wouldn't even dream of attempting, many of us, to file our own tax returns, is pretty good evidence that the system is broken. Not to mention, we just hired 87,000 new IRS agents which, in my opinion, is not going to make anything better at all. Well, you asked, though, why would a why would a whole crowd of Democrats boo the notion of abolishing the IRS? I hear abolish the IRS, and I say that sounds fantastic because who, who it really should it? just be it should be very straightforward. Whatever whatever the tax burden is going to be, the reason the tax code is tens of thousands of pages is corruption, graft, special favors, side deals, and social engineering. That's it. There's there's no reasonable explanation for why i mean depending on if you add the addendums and all this stuff i think they estimate it's like seventy thousand pages i mean the tax code is absolutely outrageous when you if you were to print it all out and put it together um but i'm reminded of frederick bastia the frenchman from mid 19th century uh the quote government is a great fiction through which everybody endeavors to live at the expense of everybody else that's what democrats do by, by the way, the law is brilliant. It's short. It's easy to read. It's really uh, fantastic. A lot of more libertarian conservatives are big fans of Bastiat, the law. But it is true that Democrats promise that everybody, whether it's on health care or taxes, it's always somebody else that will pay. And Was that it, is the great fiction that they use to get so much bad policy done. Like 1992-ish when Steve Forbes ran and almost Steve Forbes's entire message. And obviously he was not the best advocate for this because he kind of looks like a, uh, 
you know, zany, uh, you know, tax professor uh, at a elite institution. But I think if I remember correctly, the Steve Forbes plan was basically a 12% flat tax. Every single person would pay 12%. You could file your tax return, if I remember uh, from his perspective, basically on uh, a, uh, a a small note card, right, that you would be able to, uh, the postcard that you'd be able to mail in. I don't understand how we can't fix our broken tax system and why that wouldn't make a lot of sense. Now, I don't know about the idea of a consumption tax and all the different ways to do it can be confusing because they require change and change is often fought just because people are are creatures of habit. But our tax code is broken. And if every single one of you out there almost could not file your own tax return and be confident that you can do it well. And I don't mean when, look, if you're an employee and your employer is, it's not that complicated. As soon as you start to have very many different moving parts, and God forbid if you actually own a small business to figure all this out or you're an independent contractor, I mean, it's a total and complete mess. It really is. And so I don't, of all the areas you could attack Republicans on, they're trying to figure out how to make our tax code work better for more people seems like a really bad attempt to attack i am looking forward however tomorrow at state of the union buck how much better is it going to be to see kevin mccarthy sitting behind joe biden instead of nancy pelosi yeah he's not going to tear up any speeches i can assure you of that so classy democrats so classy we'll talk about the last time the state of the union biden just randomly said go get him at the end i'm curious (laughs) if he'll have another crazy mishap i'm jack armstrong he's joe getty we're the armstrong and getty show we cover the stories the mainstream media ignores stories that are important to your life and important to the world the election of course the many trials of donald trump couple of wars gender bending madness why are kids looking at so much social media and we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on but we do it without the left-wing media spin listen to armstrong and getty on demand on america's number one podcast network iheart open your free iheart app and search the armstrong and getty show to start listening more than a movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies i'm your host alex fumero and each week i'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies from the godfather andy garcia he has the smarts of Vito, the temper of sunny the warmth of fredo and the coldness of michael to the og spy kid alexa penavega you had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to more than a movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough. 
that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive story here, Buck, as we're rolling through the Monday edition of the program. Um, there's a, a professional surfer named Bethany Hamilton. And for some of you out there who may not remember uh, all of her story, when she was 14 years old, she was attacked by a shark and lost her left arm. Despite that, she continued and turned herself into a professional surfer. And she came out over the weekend and aggressively attacked the idea of transgender male athletes who decide to identify as women being able to compete in surfing competitions, which is something uh, that has uh, that has been allowed. And she said, Buck, this concerns me as a professional athlete that's been competing in the World Surf League events for the past 15-plus years. I think many of the girls currently on tour are not in support with this new rule, and they fear being ostracized if they speak out. Um, And so she is pointing out male body dominance in women's sports are occurring everywhere and says as a result, and Buck, I think this is significant because this is something that Many people out there have argued, I personally won't be competing in or supporting the World Surf League if this rule remains. And I think what you're seeing, Buck, is women women's athletes are finally starting to speak out. And one thing, we talked about this with Riley Gaines as it pertained to the uh, Leah Thomas swimming incident. One of the things that I heard most prominently, and I bet you've heard this too, is why didn't women just refuse to compete? Like, what happens if uh, when everybody dives in, they stay and stand on the blocks? And that's kind of a challenge because you still want to compete. But I think right. this is kind of a kind of a, a strong statement here. That's that's a difficult situation I could see for those female athletes because so you're gonna you're gonna give away your competition to that's this, right this lunacy. I mean, I I think that's and also imagine if you're you know if you're Riley Gaines, you and a handful of of girls women decide you're not going to compete, but a bunch of others do. And so now all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I got a silver medal. I'm happy because the best people in this race decided to sit it out. That's right. On principled grounds or so. So you would need total solidarity. Um, and, and it's, it's also very apparent that there's something nefarious, uh, behind so much of this because they, you know, the apparatus will take action against you as a woman who speaks out against this. they, They want there to be cost. Why should there be cost? For saying that you don't want this, if, if it's really just about, is there an advantage? What's the science? You know, can we have an adult discussion about this? No, because there's obviously an advantage. We all know what the science says, and they just want obedience. They want anyone people to. Yeah, Buck, anyone who's ever competed in sports understands it more, I think, than people who don't compete in sports. Because there's this idea out there, because, hey, I'm woman, hear me roar, that women, like, use the women's soccer team as an example. The U.S. women's soccer team is the best women's team in the world. They got beaten by a 15-year-old boys team in Dallas, Texas, 5-2. These are 15-and-under, talented Dallas, Texas soccer-playing boys. Boys, 15-year-olds. 
the, the fastest woman in the world, the Shikari Richardson buck, she lost, uh, would lose every Texas state boys sprint championship. In other words, 16, 17, 18-year-old boys in Texas are all faster than the fastest woman in the history of the world. I mean, Clay, even down here in South Florida when I go to the gym, there are there are female fitness models in the gym. Yep. And there are guys, uh, you know, I'm not saying I know too much about it, but the guys who go in there, they got a bit of a gut, spend a little too much time indoors. Uh, but if you have a 200-pound, six-foot-tall guy, he's going to lift more weights than the fitness models, than the yeah. females who are, you know, training four hours a day. He will bench press more than those women, you know, with, with almost no exception. Like, we all understand the science very clearly here. Well, that's our friend Zuby, who we've had on before, you know, became the greatest women's lifting champion of all time to satirize the idea of men deciding to compete against women. And for everybody out there listening, what they've tried to argue is, oh, this isn't really a big deal. This is not becoming an issue. No. In the next five to ten years, I really believe this. Your daughters and granddaughters, if this continues, are going to be competing against men all over the place. Every state, every school district is going to have this as an issue. And I give credit to Bethany Hamilton uh, for speaking out as aggressively as she is about this story because that's what it's going to take in order for things to actually change. I mean, I I, I can't imagine getting my arm bitten off by a shark and then back in the ocean. So, I would never you know, get in the water again. Talk about bravery. If I ever got attacked by a shark in any way, much less had a serious injury, I would never get in the ocean again. I mean, I think I think if like a sea turtle nibbled on my feet, I'd be a little freaked <laughs> out, you know. So I, I can't imagine. Like I'm I'm not an ocean guy. That's all I can tell you. I mean, the bravery of that by itself is. I, I remember when that happened. I, I and she said, "Oh, I'm going to go back. I love surfing." I was like, I. The fact she may be the most mentally tough athlete on the yeah. planet because when you're in the water like that, how would you not think about getting attacked again? I mean, do you ever freak out a little bit even when you're in like a lake somewhere and you step on something weird? I mean, because, you know, oh, yeah. we've all I seen I don't like Jaws. it when I can't see the bottom. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 